My mom wears her bold shirt every day. Every mom should wear a bold movement. I love matching my mama. I love having a bold mom. And right now, you can receive free shipping on all orders over $50. Don't forget to check out our Bible studies. Go out and be bold. All right, guys, we're going to open this one up with a little joke because we haven't been here in a while, and I think you guys deserve to hear it. What do you think, Emily? Sounds fabulous. Did you hear about Mozart's chickens? Oh, boy. (laughs) Killed all of them. Every single one. Do you know why? Why? He asked them who their favorite composer was, and they said, Bach, Bach. (laughs) So bad. (laughs) I mean, you can only go up from there, so... Hey guys, and welcome back to the Talk Bible to Me podcast. This is our fourth season, first episode. Emily, will you do the honor of telling our fabulous guests the book we are going to be studying together? Are you ready? I feel like we need a drum roll. (gasps) We are going to be reading Hosea. Hosea, which is a minor prophet. If you aren't familiar with Hosea, um, and if you are, well, I hope that we get to teach you something new. Um, Emily, what are you most excited about in this study? Ooh, girl, there's so much. Actually, I have to laugh because when we started looking into this one, everything I read said, this is the most difficult minor prophet to interpret and study. It's <laughs> like, oh man, we just got in over our heads. <laughs> I literally wrote that in my fun fact, like the hardest of the Hebrew books of the Bible. <laughs> oh my gosh, but it's going to be so good. There's so much good stuff in this book and I was pleasantly surprised to get into it and, and see God has a lot more to say than what I was thinking. So it's going to be good. I'm excited. Well, as we like to do with our books of the Bible, we are going to start with an introduction to the book so that way we can do it justice as we do expository teaching. So why don't we just go ahead and dive in with the most obvious first question. Who wrote the book of Hosea? Who wrote it? Hosea. Yeah, Hosea. (laughs) (laughs) Now, some scholars like to talk about how he wrote the first part and then the second part Mm -hmm. came in later with another author. I am not convinced by that. And neither are um, a lot of scholars. (laughs) Did I say most scholars or some? Because it's actually a minority that believe that. Um, Most, the majority of scholars agree that it was Hosea throughout the whole um, book. What do you want to say about Hosea? You go first and I'll, I'll follow up. Well, I mean, I can give like a very little minor character study on Hosea. Um, do it. Because he's a minor prophet. Um, oh! <laughs> that's just right out of my head. Um, that was great. So I did want to give the difference though between major and minor prophets because some of y'all listening might not know. Very um, The first misconception that a lot of us might have about minor prophets is that it means they're less important, but that's not true. It just means that their books are shorter than the major prophets. It's really just a matter of the length of how long they are. And actually, Hosea's, um, his writing is actually almost as long as Daniel. Fun fact for you. 
Um, but he he is shorter, and so there are twelve minor prophets. There sometimes they call them the twelve as a fancy little term. Um, but his is the first of the twelve. <laughs> the twelve, the fancy term, the twelve, the fancy term, the twelve. Holy moly! Okay, so um, but a good example of the fact that Jose is not less important is that actually a lot of his themes and vocabulary you can find um from his prophecies. You can find repetitions of that in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, which are all major prophets. So he was mm-hmm. what he had to say was important. Um. And then another difference is that major prophets, um, their content was usually really broad, like maybe even global implications, whereas minor prophets, they're more narrowly focused to a certain city or country, um, but can still obviously be used to apply to even our lives today. So that's really interesting, Emily. I like that. Minor and major prophets. Yeah, so Jose is this prophet, and we think that his prophetic career probably lasted around 50 years, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fascinating to note that since he lived through Hezekiah's reign, and we learned that in the very, very first verse, which we'll talk about in a minute, that means he would have lived to see the fall of Samaria. Fun fact. Did you know that? I didn't. Well, I did. I didn't until I studied. <laughs> So we um we virtually know nothing about Hosea. Yeah. So uh, except for this aspect of his life that we're about to talk about, which is wild to me, yeah. um because I feel like this is like the most vulnerable. Um, yeah. I mean, to if be he's known for what he's known for, yeah, for, for marrying. <laughs> well, well, we'll get into that. Yeah, but um. <laughs> If his life was worse than that, that is tough, man. Yep. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, something else that was really interesting, um, his style was very original, but the content of his message was not. And we see, uh, which we'll talk about in the literary structure, that there is a lot of uh, references to the first um, couple books of the Bible. And I think you have some notes yeah. on that as well. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit more. Um yeah. The last thing I want to mention, because I just thought this was really interesting, in the first verse, it talks about how um, Hosea is the son of Beery, and Beery is a Hittite name. And we know this because if you'll remember, back in Genesis chapter 26, Esau's wife, Judith, her father's name was Beery, and he was a Hittite. So just a little fun fact for you. That is. That is a fun fact. Yeah. I have one more that I oh please right. He uh he was often called the deathbed prophet because he was the last to prophesy before the northern kingdom fell to Assyria, which we'll get into that here in a minute. But yep. Um. So basically, I mean, he was prophesying while Israel was on their deathbed because they were you know a spiritual deathbed, of course. Well, right, well, right, right. Physical one too, but it was um, it was pretty deadly. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> You were laughing about that. That's not nice. <laughs> oh, but I thought that was a good way to remember him. You know, if you give him a little bit of like a, a, a special name, part of the 12, the deathbed prophet. Um, yeah, we got the weeping prophet, the deathbed prophet. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like the opposite of the Care Bears. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Make God, a yeah. TV show out of the prophets for the anyway. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's the All right, so let's talk about when Hosea was written. Do you want to do this one? Sure. Um, 
So Hosea is a pre-exilic uh, writing, which means it was before the exile. So before yes. the Israelites exiled into Assyria. Um, and this would have been 8th century BC. Yeah. And right on, right on. Right around the time, I mean, he, he prophesied during several kings' reigns, but um, especially during Jeroboam II, who was one of Israel's worst rulers. Worst. He's not a nice guy. He was the worst. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've kind of nailed that down, um, why don't we go ahead and talk about uh, where this took place so that way we can just like really hit into it with what was going on in the culture at the time, mm -hmm. why it was written. Um, and we'll just kind of like do that real quick, just really very quickly. Um, this was in the Near East. So uh, basically where today, uh, where Israel and um, all of those places are, that's where this really took place. So let's go ahead and dive into what was happening while it was written. Holy cow, there is so much here. You're going to get so, <laughs> so much needy. history. Um, I'm going to start by saying you need to understand the history of Israel to understand what's going on in Hosea, okay? Because the genre of this is – actually, let's talk about the genre really quick so that way everything else makes sense. <laughs> um, the genre, wow. So – as anyone who's who's really getting into Bible studies knows, it is a little more complicated than fitting a book of the Bible into this nice little neat box of one genre. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, there is um, oftentimes one genre that you can oversimplify with, right? Just for the sake of simplicity. Um, I don't know if oversimplify is kind of a negative connotation, isn't it? Could be. Anyway, I don't <laughs> want to oversimplify here because we're doing an in-depth study. So, um, Hosea was basically written. It's it's prophetic. It's poetic. It's uh, like a legal indictment of God detailing his case against the Jews. There's satire in it. <laughs> I just think this is wild. Hosea uses some incredible Im imagery that we're going to talk about, too. Um, I want to note that there's a lot of allusions to the Torah, um, which we talked mm -hmm. about. Maybe we can chat about that real quick. Um, I know for a fact, Genesis and Exodus really dominate a lot of his writings. Um, mm -hmm. And go ahead and say what you have to say about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just have that he was he was probably really familiar with the Torah, um, which would have been the first five books. And mm -hmm. Joshua and Judges, too, um, because yeah. he his critique of his generation, which you'll see here in the next episodes, um, it's founded entirely upon the Pentateuch. Um, so you have this foundational metaphor in Hosea, which we'll get into again, but you have Israel as this adulterous wife. Um, and that's actually founded upon this de depiction of apostasy, which um, basically just walking away from the Lord, um, but depicting it as a strong word, but whoredom. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you have a lot of that in the Old Testament. Um, you have Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Judges, all of these um, books that he uses to um, describe how terrible our apostasy or their apostasy um, was. But he was so specific in the verses that he was referencing too. Um, we'll get to that too. 
to have Absolutely. a lot of specific ones, but yeah. Yeah. And um, something that was really fascinating to me, I did not like consider this probably because I'm not an expert in like <laughs> um, Old Testament, like culture in this specific time but Hosea was incredibly familiar with the uh literary motifs of the pagan world that was surrounding him um scholars see a lot of parallels between Hosea and I think they're called Mari prophets M-A-R-I um and Mari prophets are like uh like cults like prophets from cults and stuff Mm -hmm. um it is possible that the language that Hosea uses, you remember how I said it's a little more original, but the content mm-hmm. is like a repetition of, of Israel's entire story, basically. But it reflects concepts that are um, found in Akkadian incantations, which oh. is fascinating. Have you ever seen yeah. Akkadian written out? No, I haven't. It looks like <laughs> it looks like a chicken was dipped in ink and then walked around <laughs> like that's what they're it does it looks like that's such a visual <laughs> it's fascinating um and uh incantations for those who don't know are do you know what an incantation is yeah, isn't that like the uh, like a spell yeah it's like spells yeah. and so yeah. his language is reflecting that and um wow. whenever we talk more about um why he wrote it and what was happening while he wrote it that is going to make more sense why he wrote it like that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, it says, uh, I, I'm going to quote uh, Garrett here. He said, one might contend that there are elements of tragedy and comedy analogs to the Aristotelian categories integrated in Hosea. Even so, these external non-Israelite parallels to Hosea are of limited use and certainty. But I just thought it was fascinating um, that so much – influence from the pagan culture around him from the magic from the cults from the superstitions all of that is being used in this writing um and we're gonna talk about why right now are you ready to do this ready i'm ready i'm Um, got my interest peaked here oh my gosh it's so fascinating i'm gonna get like super giddy in a second so uh (laughs) let's talk about israel's history really really quick so that way we can better grasp the context of what's happening um i will start and then i'll hand it over to you you'll know when i hand it over to you'll be ready for it okay okay so um (laughs) if you read israel's history really starts with abraham and um abraham has a son um Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has Joseph and his brothers, and then Joseph goes to Egypt and the brothers come to Egypt with him, and then Joseph and Jacob die and the brothers die and everyone dies, but there's still 12 tribes, and um, the Israelites start growing like increasingly, and Pharaoh gets freaked out, so he turns the Israelites into slaves, and then um, this is where Moses steps in, and the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land, and so they're there, and then they all get to off because it's taking too long because they're not patient and then Moses dies because they didn't listen to God so then Joshua takes over and Joshua fights the battle of Jericho gets really good story continues on and this is where we're gonna start with Saul now there's some judges and stuff in there but I'm just trying to like give you a brief 30,000 foot view this is like the best little snippet (laughs) 
scripture. Overviews yeah. of scripture with Megan. <laughs> yes. Five-second scripture. So um, the Israelites see all of the pagan cultures surrounding them, and all of the cultures have kings. And they're like, God, we want a king. And he's like, I am your king. And they're like, but we want a human king. And he's like, but I'm your king. And they kept on and on. He was like, fine, I'll give you a human king. Watch how that turns out. Um, spoiler <laughs> alert, it did not turn out in their favor. Not well. <laughs> so um, they pick Saul. And the reason they pick Saul is because he's tall. Literally, they picked Saul because he was tall, which is hilarious. Tall Saul. Tall Saul. And <laughs> Saul actually, like, he gets a terrible reputation because he – Turned into this power-hungry and power-crazed king. But in the beginning, he was a really good Jewish guy. Like, he believed yeah. in God. He loved God. He served God. But um, his heart got twisted. He got wrapped up in the power. And so um, God sent a prophet. Do you know who it is? It was Samuel. Samuel. <laughs> Samuel's story is wild, too. But for the sake of getting to Hosea, I got to hustle up here. So... <laughs> <laughs> Samuel anoints David and um, you guys might know David you know the guy who fought Goliath and then he had his little <laughs> with Bathsheba <laughs> anyway so David succeeds Saul and we won't go into all those details so David's the king and then David's son Solomon succeeds David Solomon is where it starts getting a little tricky so Solomon has some kids and they are um well <laughs> how do you describe they were so unique and <laughs> I like trying really hard because I I'm one of those like there by the grace of God go I so I try not to be like you're a terrible person but like I mean if it's Jezebel let's call it what it is right and so um this is kind of this is not kind of this is where Israel splits into two kingdoms so let's talk about that now that you have your brief overview this is where it gets important to understand what's going on with Hosea so, verse 1 shapes the idea of Hosea being the prophet when all of these things that we're getting ready to talk to are happening. And in the culture, it shapes the context of this book. It's so important that we understand this. Otherwise, um, we can make Hosea mean tons of things. Yep. Notice that he announces the kings of Judah and of Israel in the very first verse, right? It's not just mm -hmm. kings of Judah or kings yep. of Israel. It's Remember, the kingdom's separated. Israel is separated. It's basically had a civil war, I guess you could say. Um, if you're not familiar with the split, I just gave you a brief overview. So if you want to learn more about that, you should probably go study that. <laughs> <laughs> go study it. It's going to be great. Um, so in Jeroboam's lifetime, there was evidence of social trouble that was apparent. Um, I don't know where you want to pick up. I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'll hand it over to you to talk about yeah. what was going on with Israel's kings. Um, there was a two-class system that developed. So there was a um, lower class, obviously, which is like the poverty. Um, they were under oppression, and the suffering was increasing. And then there was upper class, which enjoyed power and excess, very stereotypical of class systems. 
after the political stability afforded by um, Jeroboam II and his incredibly long life, um, Israel entered a time of political chaos. And this is where it gets crazy. After his death, situation became anarchy. Anarchy. Tell them what happened to all of the kings of Israel after his death. Almost every single king of Israel, this is crazy, died by assassination at the hands of his successor. Dude, so, that would be like the vice president killing the president and then his vice president dude, killing him no, no. and then his vice president killing him. It was and just like trying to be king thinking yeah. like, oh, the next guy's not going to come after me. Which is dumb. And <laughs> this is why God in the very beginning said, you don't need a king. I'm your king. Yeah. And they were just like, eh, let us have it our way. And he was like, you silly little kids. So <laughs> silly let's goose. talk about that. Jeroboam II was succeeded by his son, Zechariah. And almost immediately, <laughs> like, <laughs> almost immediately, he was struck down by his assassin, Shalom. And that ended the dynasty of Jehu. If I'm butchering these names and you are a biblical scholar of the Old Testament and you love the kings of Israel... <laughs> Why don't you send me a voice memo and I will correct myself on air. <laughs> I really will. I am not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. Shalom had little chance of, to savor his moment because after a single month, he was assassinated by Menahem. Israel spiral continued downward until Menahem's most noteworthy act, which was to send a thousand talents of silver to Tiglath Pilsir the third of Assyria in return for Assyria's support for his claim to the throne. And that is in Second Kings chapter 15. Check me on it. I think it's important. <laughs> Minham's son, Pekahiah, succeeded him, but his reign also was cut short by. Am I supposed to have that in my notes? No, I'm just like, <laughs> what do you guess his reign would have been cut short by? Oh, his successor assassination by his successor the son <laughs> of Ramalia, a high-ranking military <laughs> official killed him and had held the throne for about two years so that is the nonsense that's happening in the midst of this and remember israel the whole mission of israel is to um serve god and love people right yep. love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself and Israel knew their mission. The whole point was to bring everyone around them into the kingdom of God. And um, that's obviously not happening because they're so fixated on power and success. They're killing one another like crazy. Um, it is assumed that most of Hosea's remaining messages come from the last three decades of Israel's history. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. I did. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's um, Hosea um, in this book, ironically, Judah is the aggressor. Um, and we're going to get to that in chapter five. Um, anything else you want to add to that? Um, yeah, I mean, just basically where we're starting is political unrest, political chaos, basically. Um, spiritual chaos too, because they were, the Israelites at this point had completely walked away from the Lord and they were depending on their worship of 
Baal or Baal, however you want to pronounce it. Baal. I always feel like like a sheep. Baal. Baal. (laughs) (laughs) Baal. Oh my gosh. And And they were relying on um foreign foreign policies they were looking at other countries to provide for them so they went from depending on god for everything to getting these kings then relying on these kings to do everything for them and then when you have this prosperity in this time of life where everything's going well it's easy to forget about god so they forget about god start worshiping other gods and then look to other nations as well so they've got these three other places where they're trying to get themselves filled with what they think they need yeah. Um, well, and- the power was changing so frequently among the kings. Yes, it's yeah. like, what can I count on? What's reliable right. here? Right. So constantly searching for something else. So Hosea has a word for that. All right. A whole book for that. Um, the last thing that I want to talk about for Hosea is why it was written, which I think is very obvious, but I kind of want to add a little bit of information. So typically when we think of Hosea, we think it's this allegory story about a prophet who marries, um, a promiscuous woman as a representation of the apostasy of Israel, right? Yep. That is true, but that is only half of the Point, which is fascinating. Um, something to remember. In addition to Gomer, Hosea's wife, who else is included in the very beginning of chapter one? His children. His children. So the children are also symbols of mm-hmm. things that are happening. And I want to talk yeah. about that. I am going to quote, and it's going to be a long quote, but I think he said it so well. Um, and this is where I told you guys before the Akkadian. Um, chants and the spells and all of that stuff this is why Hosea wrote the book the way he did in my opinion um I'm just gonna read it this is from D.A. Garrett um from the um New American Commentaries so let's read Mother Israel is the shrines and sacrifices the sacred blessings, the royal symbols and trappings, the armies, the officials, teaching that are passed from generation to generation. Especially Mother Israel is the priests and kings and other members of the ruling class who shape, direct, and exploit the people. Mother Israel is the one which was the uh, which was um, oh my gosh, I moved my thing and it just made me lose everything. Mother Israel is that which gives the people their identity. She is the institution that forms every Israelite generation. So when we're talking about Mother Israel, that is who Gomer is representing in the book of Hosea. Gomer is a representation. She is an allegorical character for um, basically the the top people in Israel. The priests, the the leaders. So let's talk about who the children represent. The children are the common people. They're the farmers who want good crops, the mothers who want many children, and the common folk who want security and divine blessing. But something has gone terribly wrong. Mother Israel has abandoned Yahweh, her husband. She has embraced a new lover, Baal, because he claims to be able to enrich her with jewels and clothes clothes her in the finest materials. She has also pursued other lovers, nations who can supposedly protect her and enrich her with trade. So enticed, Mother Israel has taught her children to serve Baal at the shrines. In doing this, she does not imagine that she has broken her marriage vows, but supposes that she is faithful to the real meaning of those vows. Looking at the bulls of the shrines, she declares, these are your gods, 
who brought you out of Egypt. And that is from Exodus 32. So I have when, literally the same thing written out on my notes because it was are you serious? so interesting. The, yeah, the way that that was written in that commentary was Oh, it so, blew my mind. Such a good I was, picture. I was going to try to like make bullet notes for it. And I was like, no, I'm you just going no, to read it. To, <laughs> yeah, you have to just have it exactly as it is because it's so good. Um, so when Mother Israel, or Gomer, um, is who she is, and this is so fascinating to me as well, mothers obviously are the ones who influence their children, and I Mm -hmm. think this is saying more than one thing here, um, the children or the common people, right, we talked about how there's two classes here, we're talking about the lower class, they're going to follow what the upper class tells them to do, and here is what happens Whenever Mother Israel doesn't know Yahweh, when Gomer doesn't stay with Hosea, the children have followed their mother, superstitious and fearful, while at the same time captivated by the alluring benefit of Baalism, the cult prostitute. They know nothing of their father, Yahweh. Indeed, one cannot even say that Yahweh is their father. They are a lost generation, the children of Baal. They possess none of the three basic qualities that should mark the chosen people, integrity, compassion, and the knowledge of God. Their only hope of salvation is to turn from from Mother Israel and go back to the one real father, Yahweh. That is, to be true children of God that would have to abandon Mother Israel, for she is not his wife, and her children are Lo-Ami, not my people. But this they cannot do. She has too well instructed them in her ways, and they belong to Baal. What shall Yahweh do with the people who can neither repent nor even understand the need for it, not recognize that Baal is a lie, nor divorce themselves from their mother and her ways? He must strip Mother Israel of all she has. That is, the institutions of Israel must die. The shrines must burn, the crops must fail, the kings and armies must perish, and the priests and princes must fall into disgrace. And Mother Israel and her children must once again wander in the wilderness." When this happens, at last, they will see both the truth and the lies for what they are and return to Yahweh, husband and father. So good. So good. And I'm so excited, even more so now, to dive into Hosea and to see how Gomer reflects Mother Israel, how um, the commoners or how the children of uh, Gomer and Hosea reflect the commoners um, and how... Hosea is a representation of Christ. And I'm, I'm yep. so excited to really dive into this. Yeah. Such a good story about like, it's, it's one of those really easy to see how Jesus is in the old Testament, you know, because it's, it's such a good picture of his love for his people and his sacrifice for his people. Um, yeah. I'm excited too. It's going to be good. All right, guys. Well, make sure you tune in in one week. We are dropping the rest of the first chapter starting in verse 2 through, I think it's verse 12, 11 or 12. Um, So excited to get started with you guys. Um, Emily, you want to say anything else? (laughs) I love how you keep giving me these little intros, my little introvert side, trying to learn learn how to jump in still. (laughs) Putting you on the spot. Say something, Emily. (laughs) What else do you have? Oh, no. I mean, I really don't have anything else. I think... It's going to be such a good season. I'm excited to dive into Hosea and learn with all of you because I'm I'm actually still learning a lot about Hosea as well. So awesome. it's going to be fun. Yes, guys, remember this is a um, this is a 
podcast that is created by The Bold Movement, a women's ministry. If you like what we do, would you subscribe to our podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts? Give us a five-star rating. If you don't like us, don't touch the stars. Don't touch the ratings. Just stay far, far away. Don't even worry about it. We would like that better. You know, do what your mama said. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Um, Check us out. Share us with your friends. Yes. Us. Check us out at www.thebullmovement.com. If you want to support us financially, we will even handwrite you a thank you letter and just cry our eyes out because <laughs> everybody knows it takes money to make ministry go and it is rough. Go to patreon.com forward slash the bold movement. Until next time, go out and be bold.